If you like the Live Wild podcast and enjoy hunting-related apparel, I've got you covered. I just launched some great t-shirts, hats, and sweatshirts under my own Live Wild brand. You can find them now on my website, remywarren.com. I just want to say thanks again, everyone, for all the support, and I really hope you enjoy these designs as much as I do. Who knows? Maybe you'll head over to my website and find your next lucky hat. I'm Remy Warren, and I've lived my life in the wild. As a professional guide and hunter, I've spent thousands of days perfecting my craft. I want to give that knowledge to you. In this podcast, we relive some of my past adventures as I give you practical hunting tips to make you more successful. Whether you're just getting started or a lifelong hunter, this podcast will bring you along on the hunt and teach you how to live wild. This podcast is brought to you by Mountain Tough and Yeti. A lot of the tactics I talk about here require you to be in top physical shape. So I partnered with Mountain Tough to help get you ready for the mountain. With their science-based hunter-specific training app, you'll get in shape and mentally tough, able to tackle any hunt. Because we really believe this will help you be more successful, as a listener to this podcast, we're giving you six free weeks to get you started. Just use code LIVEWILD. It's no secret Yeti has some of the best and most durable gear out there. But when it came to hydration, they previously didn't have a great backcountry solution. Well, that all changed with their new Yonder water bottle. My Yonder covered the backcountry all across the West last season while chasing mule deer, elk, caribou, and more. It's about 50% lighter than their insulated Rambler, but still has that Yeti toughness. The best part is they've now got them in four different sizes, so you can pack the bottle perfectly fit for your hunt. To top it off, there's also great options for customization. You can check them out now at yeti.com. Welcome back to Live Wild Podcast, everyone. This week, I'm kicking off elk month. With just one month until most of the elk seasons start across the West, we're going to dive into the secrets of elk hunting. I'm going to go in-depth on behavior, tactics, calling, and hunt strategies. We're even going to throw in a few great bonus episodes into the mix to make sure you're ready and well on your way to hanging a tag on an elk this season. Now, to kick it off, we're going to look at how to find elk by covering a few elk scouting tactics, both e-scouting and in the field. I'm going to also relate elk behavior to finding good areas and the things to look for while you're out there. If you currently hold an archery tag and can get out still, there's one month left to put in some groundwork. Now, if you have a later season tag, we're also going to look at some of the places to check as well. But first, I want to cover some of my own summer elk scouting this year and a few of the things that always stick out when looking for elk. So last year I was out elk hunting and I found a pocket that just was holding bulls. It was really good hunting and it was just on fire. And while I was hunting that area, I, I was working around this ridge and I dropped down halfway on this, this pretty steep face. And on this face, I came across, it like benched out in the timber and there was like just this really worn down game trail going to this spot so i got on this this game trail and it was like steep country and then it just all of a sudden the country started to bench out and this wasn't even really on the topo map it just happened to be like a very flat spot maybe i don't know the size of i don't know if you were to park two trucks bumper to bumper it was about that size on the steep hillside there's a spot that flattens out and in it was this insane wallow, like just this really well-used wallow. There's actually two puddles there that could easily house an elk. And I thought to myself, this is one of the coolest wallows I've ever found. It's in a great spot. There's elk around. I'm going to pay attention to this wallow for scouting for next year because I was just curious. I want to know, okay, well, how are the elk using this particular area? I have knowledge that elk are here mid-September. Uh, there's bulls here mid-September. I'd seen cows. I'd seen bulls. It was a fairly high elevation particular spot. But I I found this wallow and I just thought, this is, this is a cool place. I want to kind of check this out during the summer. So because I had a good hunt in there, I wanted to investigate this area this summer. So that I, I made some time to get up there and start looking around. And I also, I, I checked out a few other new places as well but I really wanted to invest some time into this particular spot. So I, I made a couple of different trips. The first one 
primarily glassing. And I was glassing into some of these basins thinking, okay, this is, looks like a good summer range for bulls. I feel like it would have been a, a great bull summer range. And so I decided, like, let's see if I can find some growing out bulls. So I, I did some glassing multiple days and actually did not turn up any bulls. I, I spotted a few different cow elk, some mule deer, and no bulls, which was a little surprising to me because I knew that there had been bulls in there in September. So I then decided, well, instead of, you know, just glassing this, I'm going to start putting some cameras on that water hole. Now there's a lot of water in here. There's other creeks and other things. So I wasn't expecting this to be a particular magnet for animals, but just decided to see what I would I'd find out throughout the summer. So I put some trail cameras on it and of course started to get the usual trail camera pictures, some bears in the hot days, some mule deer does, and then primarily cow elk i don't think i got a single bull on camera but what i was getting was consistent cow elk so i go okay for most of the year this is a cow pocket but when that rut kicks on it must be pulling bulls from maybe more remote country or or country further away and this happens to be where they're moving down to this particular basin during the rut because i knew that there was a lot of elk there during the season so it just gave me a little bit more insight on this particular spot. Now, this is going to be a spot that I keep an eye on as this starts to progress. I'm expecting to go up here again pretty soon and, and check it and start doing some more glassing and see if those bulls are starting to turn up. Now, this is an area that I, I'm new into, so I don't know, okay, are the, is it just like, was that a fluke? Where there just happened, they all moved in that particular while I was in there and it was, it was a great hunting last year and it's not going to be like that. But what I am starting to see is certain patterns that these cows are following. When I saw some cows out checking cameras and other things, I noticed, okay, like they're doing the same thing that the elk were doing during November. And then that really helped instill that, okay, the bulls are moving in. These cows are living here. These cows have a certain pattern. Now I'm starting to understand this pattern because they're doing a lot of the same things that they're doing during September when I saw them last year. And so that, what that's telling me is that the bulls are moving in, they're, they're joining with these cows, and those cows have their safety security kind of circuit. The bulls definitely disrupt that, but they try to maintain a certain order for safety. And so, you know, in some ways you think about it going like, okay, well, this summer scouting didn't pay off because I didn't find the bull that I was looking for. Well, scouting's not over yet, one. And two, it definitely instilled the idea that this is an area where where bulls are moving into, not living currently. So that puts, if I were to start early, maybe I would, you know, not expect to run into bulls here. Now there's another area that I hunt and have scouted in similar setup, same scenario. Big steep mountain, isolated pocket, benches out, great water holder, wallow, turns into a wallow during the rut. Now, I've had camera on this particular spot for years. I do it all, every summer just because I like to see what happens. And I always get a moose. And then the biggest elk that I can find in the unit always hits this particular water in the summertime. And it hits it between July and like mid to end of August. Yet after that, like August 25th date, I have yet to see that bull in person. Like I've spent a lot of time hunting that particular area for this particular bull. Cause it's always every year. Like I don't even, I think it was well, some years I, I've gotten pictures of the same bull. And then there's always like a, a good bull that hits this particular spot in the summertime. And he gets fairly consistent. Like he's just watering. He's up there. Figure he's up in the basin above. And this is just the closest, easiest water for him to get to. And so that's where he goes. And so I go in there every year and I've spent a lot of time trying to find this particular bull and have struck out. I mean, like, and not even seen bulls, really. There's a lot of time where I'm in there and I'm just like, I am absolutely wasting my time. He doesn't show back up on camera and I can't pick him up in the glass. I cannot find this bull. I can't get him to fire off a bugle. The bull is gone. Like he's absolutely gone. And so... That is one of the things when it comes to finding elk and scouting that you go, okay, sometimes you get a bull that's 
and now I'll I'll give you another example of uh, I've done that in another area and had the bull on camera all summer. And he's sure enough, that bull is within three to 500 yards during the archery season. Right. But what that says is, okay, there are certain places where elk are during the summer. There's certain places where they move to. There's certain places they move out of, and there's certain places that they move to for the rest of the rutting season because they're focused on different things. So I think that when it comes to scouting elk and when it comes to pinpointing elk, one of the things that I like to focus on maybe sometimes more than actually finding the right bull is finding what that elk's going to look for during the season that I'm going to be there. So when it comes to archery season, middle of the rut, peak of the rut, ooh, focusing on cows. If it comes to hunting early in the season, maybe that means focusing on bulls that are in a summer holding pattern and they are staying in that pattern for a prolonged period of time. So matching where I'm looking for elk to where those elk are going to be in the scenario and the season that surrounds it. Another kind of story that I think is worth sharing here because we're talking about finding elk and we're going to talk a little bit about scouting elk. Now, a lot of the areas that I hunt over the years are places that maybe I don't even have time to get boots on the ground. So this year I actually have, you know, an elk tag in, we'll call it the Rocky Mountain West. I don't like to necessarily give away all the states and everything, but it's it's a place where there's a general tag and and I can hunt this particular general area. So that's one of the areas that I'm scouting and it's a more mountainous terrain. Now, another tag that I have is going to be Southwestern terrain. And what I'm looking for in those two particular places are different. Now, the mountain tag, I got an opportunity to get boots on the ground this year. The Southwestern tag is a limited entry tag. Well, I'll just say it's in, it's in New Mexico. I don't mind because it's a draw and it's hard to get. And it's a great water year. And there's a lot of things going for it. It's an archery season. But unfortunately, I don't have time to get down there and scout that tag out ahead of time. So then, you know, we talk about, here's the things that I'm learning about elk behavior in this one particular spot with, you know, hunting in that area and getting some boots on the ground scouting and some of the similarities and differences that I see going through that. Now on this other area, what I'm doing is primarily e-scouting. So I'm pouring over a lot of maps and I'm covering a lot of country digitally. I'm building out a hunt plan based off of things that I know about elk and elk behavior, the things that I'm looking for this time of year and the research that I've done on the area. Not only just talking to people, but also looking at things like bull to cow ratios, what to expect, the things that are lacking in this unit. Uh, This area has got particularly a lot of cover, not a lot of topography, but not a lot of water either. This year, there's a lot more water from what I gather, uh, talking to people that have been down there, but you know, building out the hunt plans completely different. So I think that one of the things that I always like to talk about is, you know, identifying the behavior of elk and the things that are consistent and then matching that to the place that you're hunting. And that's the primary way that I find elk because what I'm learning through a lot of scouting and I have over the years is elk have certain behaviors and they do certain things and you can start to match those behaviors up with the time of year. And by doing that, you're a lot more successful at finding the elk when that season comes around. So let's dive into a few of the tactics that I use and the things that I look for and the way that I break it down when a guy asks, how do I find elk in this particular area? So if you were to come to me and say, hey, how do I find elk? I've hunted, I'm going into this particular spot. Where do I look? I'm going to first say, now, whether this is e-scouting or going into the field or building a hunt plan, doesn't matter when we're talking about elk. And this really could be kind of transferred to a lot of different species. I think I look at four major things first. I'd ask you these questions, location, tag, dates you're hunting, and your goals. Now, this is, we'll break this down. So, The first thing, the location. I'm talking about like where in the U.S. And why is that important? Well, habitat is key, right? The thing you talk about in habitat, you need food, water, and cover. Elk need a place to live. They need somewhere that's safe. They need somewhere that provides everything that they have. And you look at a map, sometimes you go, that's everywhere, right? Well, I've talked about this before, but the first thing that I start on is what kind of habitat 
is in short supply? What is something that they need that's maybe more rare? Because that we're thinking about in an area that is, let's say we're going to talk about the Southwest or something. We've got an area that's got all the timber. It's got a lot of open areas or south-facing slopes for feed. It's got good cover, good feed, but maybe water's in a little bit less supply there. So now I can start to pinpoint all the waters. And there might be still quite a few of them, but it might not be as many as uh, a place in Idaho where it's got a creek in every drainage and 15 wallows and things in every meadow. And it's just like water everywhere. So, okay, well, that's in short supply. Maybe we're talking about the reverse of that, where we're talking about like somewhere in Idaho, Wyoming, Montana, and you look at it and you go, this is all dark timber. But elk are grazers primarily. They need that grass. And there's not as much grass, some years there is, but there's not as much grass in areas where the sun's blocked out. So yes, elk do live in timber, but if there's a place where it's a lot of timber and there's a few open meadows, south-facing slopes, this, that, and the other thing, here's now a place we can look for. Maybe that's the same thing, but oh, here's an area that's logged. Here's an area that's burned. Okay, now these are places that generate grass and good feed. So those are in shorter supply. There's plenty of water. There's plenty of cover. Let's look at that. And that's how I start to narrow down the area based off of the location. So we're saying, where are we hunting? What's this location look like? And then maybe what's something in short supply? Now, sometimes there's areas where it's like, hey, nothing's really in short supply. This all looks like good country. But we're, remember, we're combining a lot of different factors here. So that's the first thing that I ask because now we're going to say, okay, what elk behavior matches up to this area and where can we pinpoint some of these things? Now, the next question, the tag. So we're talking about what are you hunting with? Archery, rifle, muzzleloader? Because that often depends a few things. Uh, I'm thinking about what type of, what are you hunting with? And then is it a limited entry tag? Is it a general unit? Is it a semi-general unit where it's like, hey, the hunting pressure isn't so much. Is it a backcountry unit? Is it an area that has a ton of road traffic, like roads everywhere, logging roads everywhere, no backcountry areas? What is the tag that you're hunting? And there's a few reasons that we're looking at this. So the first is we, I often like to pick areas based off of the type of hunting that I'm going to be doing. If I'm archery hunting and I know that I need to be closer to an elk or whatever, I'm probably going to find terrain that's suitable for that. So I'm going to look in those areas like, hey, well, I've got this and I've got this and I've got all these things and this narrows down an area. Now I'm going to narrow it down based off of the type of hunt that I'm doing. If I've got a rifle, maybe I want more open country. If I've got archery, maybe I want more covered country. If I've got a muzzleloader, maybe I want a little bit of a mix of that. If I've got a general tag, maybe I want an area where I can get away from roads. If I've got an area that has a lot of roads, maybe I also want to see, okay, where's a gap in the roads? Maybe it's an all uh, wilderness area, but I go, where's the major access trailheads? And then what's areas in between these major accesses? If it's a limited entry hunt, I might not have to worry about any of those things. I might say, hey, where's the place with the most roads where I can cover the most country efficiently because I know that those animals are getting little pressure. I'll look at that and I'll also look at, okay, this is my particular tag or the particular hunt that I'm on. What are some of the research type things for this area? What's the bull to cow ratio typically? What are the harvest success rates typically? Because what that's going to do is it's going to tell me a little bit about where to look. If it's a high bull to cow ratio, right? There's like lots of bulls. Then I know, okay, there could be a few cows. And if I was to focus on those few cows, I imagine that would be a magnet to pull bulls and pull bulls. And so I'm going to, if it's a archery tag, it's, and I, I know that and there's a lot of bulls particularly, then I'm maybe going to focus on finding cows because that's in that's the thing that in that point places in short, that's the thing that in that place is in short supply. So now the, the third thing, dates. We're going to look at when are we hunting? Just because you have an archery tag that's in September, I like to focus on what week are you hunting in September? Are you hunting September 1st to the 5th? Are you hunting the 5th to the 10th? Are you hunting the 10th to the 15th or the... 15th to the 20th, like breaking it down into five days or weeks, first, second, third, fourth week. When are you hunting in September? Because the behavior is different. 
The behavior is different from September 1st to the end of September. Each week is a little bit different. They're kind of focused on different things. Sometimes it depends on the area and the year, right? So it, it can change, but the behavior of what you encounter or might encounter that time of year will also depend on where I'm looking. So if it's an archery hunt, I'm going to hunt the first week of September. I might look in different country. I'll probably look in areas where, where are those summer habits of elk? Because the bulls are probably not like, if you're looking for a mature bull, it's probably not going to be uh, with the cows yet. He'll be pulled away or on that summer range, maybe even still bachelored up. I think they would probably start breaking off, but I've seen it happen. A couple of bulls up in some basin somewhere. And then as we progress through September, now I'm going to focus on the cows because they're going to be in that full rut mode. And then as we break off into October, those bigger bulls are going to start to slip away. They're going to they're going to pull away from the herd. Some like beginning of October, they're still checking the herds, but then they go off on their lonesome. Mid October, those bigger bulls are off on their lonesome, and those herds are groups of cows will probably be still run by younger bulls. And then as we go into like end of October, beginning of November, the bulls start to pull away from those groups of cows, except for there, you'll definitely still get a lot of those younger bulls. Now, as we get in through beginning of November, end of November, you start to, in many areas across the West, have some kind of winter range change. They move down the mountain. They move a completely different area. They start to move and transition to winter range. What happens there is there's big herds in lower elevations, primarily cows gathering, gathering, gathering. And then you'll start to have other bulls start filtering in with those cows. And then you'll have bachelor groups of bulls late in the season that are just kind of broken off again, doing their own thing, mature bulls staying back. And then you'll have bulls, younger bulls. And, you know, you never know. You might catch a mature bull doing this too, but down in with the cows and, and mixed in there. So, so as the season progresses, we have different things in different places that we're going to be looking and they have different needs as the season progresses during archery season elk need cows they want to breed that's what they're thinking about and then they need the things associated with breeding so they're ripping up trees they're wallowing they're doing that kind of stuff food and water is not on their mind chasing cows is on their mind gathering up a harem and fighting that's what they are essentially living and breathing to do they'll do the other stuff but it's more incidental to that primary focus in October, after the rut, they're recuperating, and food is that big, that big need right there. They're they're food, and actually for the bigger bulls, seclusion. Like they need to recuperate, and they don't want to get pushed around, don't want to get chased around. That's why that's probably the, one of the harder times to kill it. But then once they've recuperated enough and like got all the strength, they go back into this feeding pattern where it's all bulk up, bulk back up, bulk back up for the winter. So they go into a feeding pattern, and then that makes them susceptible again, and then. As the winter goes on, it's kind of the same thing, like feeding pattern winter range. Um, so they're they're going from cows to cover to food to security and you know security in a winter range, which often is a lot of food and then good cover or um, safety and numbers kind of thing. So that's what I look at the dates and when I'm going to be hunting. Then the last one, goals. What do you want to hunt? Like what? And that sounds, everybody's like, I want to shoot a big bull. It's like, okay, well, first we're going to look at all the other things, your tag, your location. Is a big bull even reasonable? And yeah, I've hunted big bulls in a lot of general areas, and that was my goal for the season, right? But when I'm hunting those big bulls, I hunt different than I would if I was just like, hey, I just want to, I want to shoot a bull for me. And I want to, I don't care if it's a raghorn, just whatever legal bull, I'm going to shoot a legal bull. The way that I hunt for legal bulls is a lot different than the way that I hunt for mature bulls. And just being realistic with that goal. When I'm guiding, I'll have a guy that's like, hey, I want to shoot a good bull. And I always tell him like, okay, I'm going to tell you right now, we probably aren't going to see a lot of elk. If you want to, you know, like you got to commit to this, we're going to go hunt a big bull and we're either going to see no elk or we're probably going to see like a large mature bull. And there's a reason for that because we're hunting for that habit of what that elk is doing. And when you focus on that, then the, I guess like the odds and opportunity of finding what you're looking for will increase. Now, if you're like, hey, I just want to shoot an elk or I just want to be successful. I want to fill a tag. Maybe you've got a cow tag, whatever. We're going to change that strategy and we're going to look in those areas where 
we're going to find more elk. We're going to look in those areas where probably like easier to find because there's groups of cows or might be a bull with them. We're going to focus on those areas. And that's the easiest way by targeting all four of those things and understanding those four things. Then we can help pinpoint the places where we're most likely to find elk. I think most hunters that hunt elk struggle with this part. I like to say elk hunting is three steps. Find the elk, kill the elk, pack the elk back to the truck. Just three simple steps, right? But sometimes getting to step one can be very difficult or going from step one to step two can be challenging. And then from once you've got step two done, well, you've punched your tag, but step three can be a challenge as well. And some people uh, avoid step two because they're worried about step three, right? So, you know, finding the elk can be a struggle for a lot of hunters. It's the thing that I hear the most from guys that are like, I'm not successful elk hunting. I can't even find the dang things. It can be difficult. But I also think that, you know, really paying attention to those four things and then pinpointing those places and putting yourself in a position where, okay, I've highlighted this kind of stuff. Now that's going to help me build this hunt plan that's going to lead me to more animals. And so I do that first by e-scouting. I, I pull out my maps and I, and I identify a lot of these things that we've talked about because a lot of this stuff can be understood by just getting a grasp of that behavior and then matching terrain to that behavior, terrain to that tag, terrain to where you're hunting, kind of narrowing down some of the areas. So I'll just like pull out my go hunt map and I'll just start dropping pins on places that I go, okay, these are places that I want to check. These are places that have what I'm looking for. These are places that, you know, okay, like if I decide, let's just do an example here. I think it's good to learn from example. So it's like the example is I got a general tag. I just want to fill the freezer. What am I going to look for? Well, if it's an archery tag and I'm hunting peak of the rut, I'm going to look for an area where the cows are, right? I'm just going to like focus on cows and that's where the elk are going to be. And that could be whether I've got looking for a good bull or any bull, it's just that's drawing all the bulls mid-September. That's what they're going to be. So I'm going to be focusing on areas where there's cows. Now let's go say I've got the same tag, but I've got, I'm hunting rifle season, like beginning of November. And I've got the same goal. I just want to harvest an elk. Then I'm going to say, okay, I'm still going to focus on those probably areas where the cows are most likely to be. So where is that going to be? That's going to be in an area where there's a lot of feed because there's more mouths to feed. I'm going to focus on feeding areas and not seclusion areas. If I was hunting a big bull and want to do the same thing, I would focus that time on seclusion areas where it's out of the way. It's hard to get to. There's a little bit of everything, but that bull doesn't have to move very far. And then that's where I'm going to focus my energy on if I wanted to hunt a big bull. So I'm hunting two different kinds of places and I'm targeting two different kinds of places based on that goal. And then we just translate that tactic to the map and start looking at some of the topography, some of the, a lot of the satellite imagery and 3D is like the easiest way to do this. And then I start pinpointing and dropping pins on those places. Now, let's say you've done that, you've identified these things, and now you're, you're getting in the field. So you go, hey, Remy, that's great. Like, you're finding these spots, and then you're talking about scouting for yourself, and it's like a wallow that you found while hunt chasing actual physical elk that you found, and also realizing, like, there's no bulls there right now. So how, like, this last month before elk season, if you got an archery tag, and you're like, hey, I'm going to get out for a weekend and scout it out, get in the field, or maybe you're like, I'm going to use this last bit of summer to scout for a rifle season. How am I going to utilize this? And I did a, a fairly in-depth series on scouting in general, but I think that when we translate it like specifically to finding elk, there's a couple of things that I think are worth talking about. So if I'm getting into the field right now and it's like, I want to find elk, maybe it's even during the season, right? There's a couple of things that I'm thinking about so the first is getting eyes out there and glassing putting your eyes on the mountain primarily early in the morning late in the evening first thing in the morning late in the evening i'm focusing on food sources elk are fairly patternable animals and so understanding that is the first step in understanding how to find elk think about if you're a whitetail hunter and you're like first elk hunt 
think about like a white tail and its pattern, right? It's it's a very small range, but so it just seems like it's more patterned. But when you really start to understand elk, you start to go, okay, these things are patterned just on a lot larger scale. And one of those patterns is pretty universal is they generally are feeding in the mornings. And oftentimes it seems like elk move up in the mornings and move down to feed in the evenings. It's, I think it has to do with thermals in some ways. And then also just based off of kind of the topography of where the type of food sources that they like are. So that's, you know, not always the case, but it seems to be the case in a lot of scenarios. I'd say like more than half the time, that's kind of their, their natural route or pattern. Um, and so the other thing to think about is like we're focusing on these feed areas and we're just out there glassing and, and checking those areas first. Now, the where do I look is a kind of a question that pops up a lot. Like where do I look for these elk? And it depends on the time of year, right? So if we're, if we're talking about we're scouting early season and we're looking for bulls, I kind of find that if I were to break the mountain into thirds or even in every canyon you're in, I feel like the top third is the most productive top third of a canyon. And I think the top third of a mountain range early in the season is where most of the bulls are held, I would say, like in that top third. And even in the higher part of the top third, especially in the summertime, like bulls use a summer range on the mountain and they, they'll probably be in that higher top third. I find that like in the summer, cows can often inhabit. Now, this is just, what I'm talking about is generalizations, right? So this is like more times than not. It doesn't mean all the time. Like the particular spot that I've got cameras on in a good wallow that there's only cows that's in the top third of the mountain and it's only cows in this particular spot but i've also got another spot just like that and it's only bulls this time of year or mostly bulls and some cows so it's a generalization but it often rings true of like i find like that middle third of the mountain range is kind of that area that holds cows and there's a few reasons for that because cows are they they're in a herd they've got a herd mentality and they need to look out for the herd and when there's more eyes you can get away with some things and also you need a lot more things you need more food you need more feed you need more cover you need more escape paths you need more safety you need more a lot of things and so that herd is dependent on those things and so I find those areas where it's like, hey, there's a lot of feed. Here's maybe easy place to get around. Here's where there's like a lot of broken country where they've got multiple bedding options for multiple animals. So you think about it like if there's country where it lays out and you've got uh, a, a canyon and in that canyon come off the main ridge, there's multiple finger ridges, right? As you go down the mountain, everything kind of spreads out. It gets bigger. Like up at the top, it's it's very compact. You might have a head basin and then it's like not as much terrain feature. And as you go down that mountain, just terrain starts to multiply and then it kind of gets to the bottom. It starts to spread out. So that top third is where that terrain in most cases has really multiplied and it gives them a lot of options. A lot more options for south faces and north faces, right? Because if you think about the way hill is, if ridges break down, and it'll say you've got a, a point at the top of the hill, it splits into two ridges and there's a, a draw in the bottom with water. Now, as you go down that, it, there's this part of the mountain where those main ridges start to break off ridges going down because what happens on a mountain, water hits it, water wears it down and then it flushes to the bottom and flushes out. And so as it spreads out, more water runs down, creates more terrain. Each one of those little pieces of terrain now have an orientation of the hill. One side might be facing north, one side might be facing south or east or west, whatever it is. But one side will be drier, one side will be wetter. So it offers a lot more opportunity for feed, offers a lot more opportunity for bedding, offers a lot more places to pop into. If the wind's going one direction, they can easily hop on the other side of the ridge and get the wind right. They can easily hit food and then hit cover and then hit safety. And there's a lot more of that terrain for that to happen. And that's why they're in that kind of consistent 
belt of it. Now, it, it obviously depends on the type of mountain and topography and other things, but that's just one of the reasons that they like that kind of country. And so if we're looking for that kind of terrain, you know, cows are going to be the key in September. So that's what we're looking for. We go, okay, where do I look? These parts of the mountain, and then we're finding elk. And then when we start to find, let's say it's an archery season, find cows, you're going to find bulls. That's just how it works. Like I look for areas where there's lots of cows because that's where the bulls end up being. Now, some other things to think about for scouting, for finding elk, you know, if trail cameras are legal where you're at, it's a useful scouting tool. You know, I've never, I don't know if I never, but like, I feel like for me, it's more of a hobby of anything. There's guys that are very successful with it. And I think in certain areas, it's a lot more predictable areas of the Southwest where it's like they're hitting certain water holes and water's limited. It really concentrates the elk and things to cameras. Now, a lot of cameras have been outlawed in those places because it is such an effective tool there. Now you'll go to other spots in the West and it starts to be a little bit more broad with that. Like they aren't as consistent into these places. So you can't really pinpoint them on it. But what it does do is it kind of gives you an idea of patterns and what's around. I would say though, if you're, if this is a method that you're using for scouting and you've got them out during the summer and you go, I, I like to tell myself, no bulls, no problem. If I'm finding elk, that's okay. Because I have had bulls on camera that I go and hunt and don't find them. Now I've also had bulls on camera and I go in that area and there's still bulls, whether it's the same bulls that are on the camera or whatever, that doesn't mean that they're gone. It doesn't mean that they aren't there, but it is telling you, starting to tell you a story of the habits and the way that the elk start to use a certain area. The place where I have cameras right now and I know that it's just cows going, that's actually encouraging to me because I know out of, through history, that the, the bulls moved in there. And so I'm going, okay, well, it's worth understanding the pattern of the elk that are here right now. And so during scouting, one of the things that I like to think about is learning that pattern. I think I alluded to it earlier. If you think about whitetail hunting, you've got like a food and you've got your cover and you've got your bedding areas and they're generally in this condensed little zone. With elk, it's very similar, but it's a lot larger scale. Okay, so it's just like I've learned that in different areas, elk do different things. In areas where they're high pressured, their patterns go from being in one area of like food to bedding to be like a, a circuit where they move. And often these circuits could be like three or four days. And they're in areas where there's a lot of pressure. They do that because they know areas of familiarity. They know areas where they got escape routes. And so if there's a lot of pressure, they can kind of stay moving. They know that they're going to food, they're going to a place where there's cover, and then they just keep moving in these circuits because the pressure is great enough where if they stayed in one area, they would just keep getting hammered, getting pounded by hunters or whatever. And sometimes it doesn't have to be hunter pressure, it can be predator pressure as well. And now there's areas where, say it's a, a block of private land that nobody hunts, and those elk will do dang near the same thing every day. Sometimes they'll just stay bedded in their food source. Like they just don't have a reason to leave. But what I like to do is when I'm hunting and when I'm scouting and I'm looking at elk, I just want to learn their patterns. Where are they moving? Where are they feeding? There's a particular area that I've scouted. In the mornings, the elk are down and it's like, and so you think about like the top of a drainage, there's like a couple ridges, two ridges, in the bottom is like a couple springs and creeks. It's There's a little bit of a like an opening in there. Then on one side, there's like some rock and some trees. And so what are the elk doing? In the morning, they're in the bottom of this draw, feeding, watering. And then as the sun starts to come up, I always see them like going up, moving through a couple sections of open and then into the timber. Then they wrap around and get the wind right in bed. And then in the evening, they kind of do the same thing. Now, this is when they're being pressured so you go okay this is the pattern of these elk now understanding and learning those patterns is really important for finding elk whether it's during the season or whether you're scouting like now and you're, you're hunting later understanding what the elk are doing where they're at is very important because often let's say we've got a late season hunt i'll, I'll understand the pattern of resident elk 
if it's a migration area because what happens is elk start to join those resident elk those elk are like the tour guides and then as other elk come in they tend to start to do the same thing because those elk are identifying elk habitat there's something that they like about this particular thing and they fall into these patterns because it's has what elk need so understanding the patterns of the elk where you're at is huge even if there isn't the type of elk that you're looking for understanding especially when we're talking about our archery season where are these cows hanging out where are they watering what are they doing because as the bulls move in yeah they're going to disrupt some stuff but for the most part it's still a large herd and they still need to be safe and they're still going to kind of fall into these patterns that they do during the summer during august throughout the season and so understanding those patterns helps you not just understand the elk in your area but understand elk in general and really understand okay once we figure out what they're doing and why they're doing it we can go anywhere kind of match the terrain match the the features and match that behavior you start to pick out elk more often so that's one of the things that i highly suggest when you are looking in an area thinking about elk hunting and and the things to look for how do you find more elk how do you find elk these are all the things that I really focus on when it comes to picking out elk, whether I've been in the unit or not, whether I'm just doing e-scouting or whether I'm out there, boots on the ground, glasses in my hand, covering country. This is the kind of stuff that I look for. I think one of the things that you're going to learn about elk hunting and hunting in general is to be proficient consistently. There's a lot of stuff you have to know about the animals and really understand the animal you're hunting. So I sometimes try to ramble on a lot of different scenarios and tactics because everybody has different tags. Everybody has different hunt plans and other things, but just really starting to get the basis of what elk do, why they like to do it. You become a lot more successful. So I hope you can glean some things out of the tips and tactics and the way that I start to think about elk hunting, because when you start to, you know, put that into the scenario of what you're doing and really think, okay, there's a lot of tactics that are not blanket tactics, but there are a lot of tactics that work consistently in different places, right? And so by just identifying those tactics that work a lot of different places, that's how we can start to key in and say, how are we going to find more elk? How can I come from a place that I don't have elk and I'm going out to this, or for me, I'm going on a hunt that's very important and a really good tag, and yet I can't get down there. What am I going to do? And I'm going to key in on a lot of these things that I understand elk like for the particular tag and the location and all that stuff. That's the stuff that I'm going to start keying in on. So next week, we're going to go, we're going to be doing a live call-in Q&A. So Tuesday, I'm going to, I'm going to broadcast the live call-in that I did this week. And we're going to kind of make it like a double week. So we'll have the live elk Q&A call in. There's going to be a lot. I think some of the best tips and tactics that I give are probably in those Q&As. And there's a reason for that is because it's so many different topics. I think sometimes I'll be talking about a podcast or doing a podcast. Be like, man, I told this already. I feel like I'm repeating stuff. There's probably a lot of stuff that is worth repeating because it's hard to just digest every single thing in one podcast, but there's a lot of stuff that I might not even think about talking about or dedicating an entire podcast that is just as important uh, for being successful. So I think that those are probably some of the most useful episodes that we do. So you'll definitely want to check that out. And then I'm going to dive into an archery elk hunting must know, in my opinion, I think we're going to go over the basis and basics of calling the what, when, where, and how. So whether you're a guy that's been elk hunting forever or maybe you're just getting into it, I think that understanding elk talk is huge in getting a bull to commit during the season and just understanding when do I call, how do I call, what should I do. I think that that's the hardest part or the the part that is the most apprehension for people. And then also just a little bit of the mechanics of making a good call. When I think about building out a hunt plan, really focusing on elk and understanding the location, definitely the tag as well. One of the things that I use a lot and another great resource, especially for this is especially if you hold a general tag is the go hunt insider. And I've talked about a lot of their features and things, but I think some people just think it's like, Oh, this is for during the season or like preseason hunt planning, trying to find a tag. And I do use it for that 
a lot. But also when I've got a tag, I go, okay, say you've picked up a general tag. There's a lot of different units with a lot of different things in them. I always tell people like where I guide in Montana, if I were going out of state to go hunt, I don't think I would go where I, I go where I go because I have like family history there and things, right? And I know the area. But if I was just to go somewhere, like I would, there's a lot of places that are better. And there's a lot of places that are maybe fewer people or there's just like a lot of different places to hunt. But especially on like general tags, Wyoming general tags, Montana general tags, maybe you got a general tag in Colorado where you can hunt multiple different units within an area. So there's just like a lot of that across the West. And so understanding, okay, what's, I mean, even Idaho, you pick up a tag and there's, you can hunt multiple units in there, but understanding what's in each unit, what are some things to look for. Insider breaks down unit by unit and you can do using filtering 2.0. You can say like, man, I really want a mature, like I want a big bull this year. Well, I would go look at for the areas that have the potential for those big bulls, right? Or maybe you're like, I, I really want to just harvest an elk. Well, let's start looking at some harvest statistics. Where is it? Where's a place that has high hunter success? Or maybe you're like, dude, I'm just sick of hunters. Let's find an area that has low participation. Let's base it off of, let's find the areas that we want to go based off of the things that we want out of the hunt, going back to our goals. And that's, I think, how I find a lot of success is I match the hunt and the area to the tactic that I want. There's a lot of times, especially when it comes to mule hunting for me, I go, there's an area that has low success and probably not a lot of people going. And I'm like, yeah, it's going to probably be a, a crappy hunt, but I just don't want to run into hunters. I want to find like a buck that might have some maturity. And I do that year after year. And there's some years that I'm like, why am I doing this? Like I haven't seen a deer in week, right? But that's just like my particular way that I want to hunt. And there's other people that I would say, don't ever hunt this unit because that's not what you're looking for. You want to see multiple deer and have a much better experience than that. And you don't mind if it's like a, a younger buck. And yeah, there's definitely going to be potential for other deer, but that's what you're looking for, right? So it's a really good way to really narrow down and, and just even you've got a tag for a specific unit, understanding a little bit about that unit. Let's look at some trends, some bull to cow ratios, some like temperature history, some just some of the background of these particular hunts. And that's where I really think Go Hunt really excels is they are the hunting company. They are looking at all this stuff and the information that hunters need. And it's not also spoon feeding people to certain areas because you can really tailor it to what you're looking for, going back to the goals again. So I think that that's really valuable. If you have that, use it for this kind of stuff because it, it's something that I do consistently and it's definitely a benefit. If you guys are looking to get it and don't have it, you can always use code live wild. You actually get a discount. Plus you get uh, gear in the gear. Like essentially it turns out points in the gear shop, which is essentially free money in the gear shop where you can buy all kinds of products. I mean, everything from boots, optics, packs, clothing, arrows, broadheads, it's got it all. And then if you don't know, I've, I've mentioned it before in the podcast in the past, but you can always use code live wild. If you're like, hey, I'm just going to go buy something in the Go Hunt gear store, you can get a discount on your gear. And there's a lot of gear that never has sales that you can use Code Live Wild on. That's something that I worked out for our listeners because I just think that there's some, there's some really great stuff that you can't get any cheaper. So I want to make it a value add for you guys who regularly listen to this podcast. And that's one way that we figured out a way to do it was doing it that way. So I hope you guys appreciate that. And then as we talked about e-scouting, you know, I would always like to mention that there's a lot of great resources in outdoor class. Right now there's a new e-scouting series and I, I cruised through it. I haven't finished it yet, but there was some stuff in there that I'm like, this is some great stuff. There's some stuff that I like to do that I haven't told people about that he's talking about in there. I'm like, dang it, giving away all the secrets, man. But uh, there's some good stuff in there. So I think that if you want a high level crash course on e-scouting, you're like, I'm talking about e-scouting and you go, this is over my head, then it really breaks it down. And I think from like zero to expert. And I think that that's a really awesome resource as well. Same thing. You can use code live wild for a discount on that. You don't just get 
the one course. You get all the courses and they're continually adding new courses. There's stuff on cooking, wild game. The cooking stuff's great. There's elk hunting stuff. There's my mule deer course. I've got another course coming out very, very soon. So this is all stuff that if you're interested in, as always, you can use code live wild. Thank you guys so much for all the support. I really appreciate it. For those of you that ordered, we had some merchandise that, so we, it was a pre-order. All the pre-order stuff is shipped. There was a little bit of a period where we had stuff. We went to make sure everybody from the pre-order got something. That's why we did a pre-order. So everybody that did the pre-order should have received everything by now. And then there was some stuff that was no longer available. So we've got some stuff back in there. If you want Live Wild hat, shirt, uh, some great designs, sweatshirts, we've got some stuff in there right now. And it's now available for probably a limited time until it's not. So now, from now on, though, if you go on, it's not a pre-order. Like, you order it, and then it ships right away. And then once it's gone, they'll just say out of stock. So appreciate all the support for that. Thank you guys so much. I really do appreciate I've I've been getting a lot of messages lately, some really good stuff. One guy, I was joking about these being lucky hats, and he sent me a message. This is what this made my day. He's like, I got a message that my Live Wild hat was shipping. And then the very next email was... He got a returned Nevada elk tag in what I consider the absolute best elk hunt in the state, potentially one of the best elk hunts in the country this year. I'm like, dude, they were lucky hats. That's what I said. You know, sometimes hunting is like persistence, skill, and luck. So you got to have a little bit of luck, right? (laughs) That's how I killed my biggest bull, just a little bit of luck. Um, So that's just, if you guys are interested, those are on my website, remywarren.com. Thank you guys again for all the comments and things. I've been getting a lot of messages, people asking questions that they've got about hunting or suggestions for the podcast. So thanks for that. As always, feel free to leave a comment, rating, whatever, wherever you listen. And until next week, I'm just going to say elk it up. It's elk month. Just do elk stuff. (laughs) Oh man, my awkward goodbyes are getting more and more awkward. I I even requested like some good some good send-offs from people, but, and I got some good ones, but I think they were too good. Like they were a little too cool for me, you know? I was like, man, that's just, that just, that sounded too good. <laughs> like I can't, I can't commit to that. Like I can't, I don't know if I can be that guy right now, but it's all good. I'll catch you guys later. 